Hi, everybody. Welcome to the newest field trip episode that's coming out <gasps> right now. <laughs> Very good. Those courses are really paying off. Uh, I just remember to stay on track and to not get distracted and don't riff ever. <laughs> How to introduce a podcast 101. 101. Don't uh, riff. Don't riff. Uh, aim for the head. Yeah, so uh, we're here. Mm-hmm. We're LA Meekly. Get Hi. used to it. This is our new field trip episode. Was this the fifth one? Yeah, I believe this is the fifth. Yeah, yes. I really, I really, uh, not that I didn't like the other ones. Yeah, <laughs> this was one where we did absolutely did not know what to expect going yeah. in. They reached out to us and we looked it up and it seemed really interesting, but there was still even on the um, we went in pretty blind, yeah, to this in, one, yeah, and we kind of looked forward to it. Yeah. Like, we, we looked took it up too online. many experimental drugs that yeah. week. <laughs> this was our acid period, <laughs> this was our rubber soul, <laughs> <laughs> our fifth outing. The next one's just gonna be called LA Meekly, Probably but we'll is. all refer to it as the white podcast. We got invited by um, Jane Tobias to come by and check out the more. York Space, which is really great, is right there on uh, York Boulevard, right by Johnny's Bar and Donut Friend and all that fun stuff there. And uh, Mark Maron's favorite coffee shop. And Marie Bamford's favorite coffee shop. And also the cast of Love's favorite coffee <laughs> shop. And also anybody who's a comedian, Los Angeles's <laughs> favorite coffee shop. Yeah, we didn't know what to expect and we went there. And even as walking around, like we didn't know what we were really looking at, but yeah. we we, lo- we like really liked. Yeah. There was so much for our eyes to catch. So we had, of course, we had a great time. We went into what we thought was an art gallery and it turned out it was an immersive immersive choose your own adventure experience <laughs> for free for free i remember sitting there with him during the interview he says it better than i do it, so claire graham by claire, the way, oh yeah is who we're talking about He's forgive the, me yeah yeah apologies apologies all around the house he put it perfectly because i was sitting i'm like it's not a museum it's not an art gallery it's like oh it's a cabinet of curiosities like <laughs> ah that's what it is that's exactly what it is we'll let you listen to the interview to say all that wow that genius stuff that we say like, <laughs> wow, 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 wow wow i mean i mean i know where we're interviewing him but what were we saying <laughs> wow anywhere where we're allowed to go and just run around and have fun and play like the children that we are we always have a good time you have to look it up online we'll, we'll post most pictures when yeah, this episode comes the, up the but, reason um, we didn't know anything about it going into it was that you can you we tried to look it up online and it doesn't make sense yeah <laughs> I mean, it doesn't do justice to the yeah as you said the immersive experience of being in there so yeah. try to set up a uh, time to go and visit it because it's really great you, you really enjoy it you won't be hearing us at the end of this episode so more york their website is moreyork.com spell it m-o-r-y-o-r-k great little dot next to that k and then a com what's the com stand for computer yeah dot computer dot computer more york dot computer even more new york dot computer <laughs> more york.com that's how you can find them there on uh they're on website, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, their address 4959 York Boulevard. As you might have heard already, we're going to go ahead and remind everybody that we have a show coming up. Live show. On October, October 30th, 30th. At the Comedy Central stage of the Hudson. You know it. You know how to get there. Just, yeah. It's saved in your GPS. Just, uh, you know, reroute. Because all our fans showed up last time. Yeah, they did. And even that guy from Ireland. Oh, that guy was so nice. Dr. Yeah. Graham. No, he's not. First of all, it's Dr. Grant, and that's not Dr. Grant. Dr. Grant is Sam Neill. This is John Hammond showed up. Oh, that's that's right, John Hammond showed up. <laughs> we all said, hello, John. And he kept cloning and cloning and cloning to 99 seats. And then he said that one line that I, oh God, it's, um, spare no expense. Spare no ex- yeah. Comedy Central stage yet again. Yeah. Uh, we're very grateful to be back. That's mm-hmm. October 30th at eight o'clock PM, Halloween Eve, Eve. Ellie Meekly live devil's night. It's basically going to be our haunted episode, but like live, live, dead or alive. Uh, died. Um, <laughs> it's free. Just got to reserve spaces because yeah, the space have- seating is limited for that. So yeah. And we that did soon. sell out last time. So yeah. So we I mean, they're not going to let you sit on the floor. I asked, okay? Trust I, me, because we're sitting there. 
they won't give us chairs. <laughs> Head out to that. We're gonna have a good time. It's gonna be super Halloweeny. We're gonna Halloween it up for you guys. Yeah, pumpkins. Fright, uh, we forgot cauldrons. to we forgot to ask about fog machines. But uh, remind me to ask about fog machines, somebody, please. There's gonna be I don't know cats running everywhere. <laughs> if you're allergic, get used to it. Aside from that, uh, we also have a Patreon set up now. That's right. We don't have anything nice to give away yet. So just if you feel like throwing us a couple bones, just to keep operations running, fully yeah. armed and operational, we yeah. greatly appreciate that. We have so many innocent planets to destroy <laughs> with this podcast uh alderaan yeah. uh dantooine jakku <laughs> mustafar <laughs> everyone's favorite planet in star wars mustafar. mustafar we're still kind of figuring out patreon but yeah you know give money if you want to whatever you want to give yeah. it helps us improve our equipment pay the monthly dues for this try to we're trying to get a website going up yeah to, so that would be good to pay for that and then yeah we're gonna set up stuff that will entice you to give us more of your money yeah. how about uh, i don't oh. know a knife on your throat <laughs> <laughs> how about for ten dollars a month we don't come to your house in the middle of the night and slash your neck how about we have your favorite child okay and we're just keeping them entertained and if you want to know where they are I'll give, mm, give us some money hundred dollars a month <laughs> that fair for the price of a cup of coffee once a month you can have your children back for the price of a coffee shop I don't know you can have your children back for the price of uh, rent of a expensive steakhouse in Beverly Hills <laughs> I don't know you can listen to our podcast that'll be patreon.com slash LA Meekly we're still kind of figuring that out exactly so yeah. uh, bear with us and uh, you know bear market money 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 money, money. Uh, so do what you always do when you listen to this episode just be patient as you've been putting up with for four years just a little bit more time please. <laughs> a little That's more patience please all we ask. a little bit more tolerance please i'm so sorry that we're like this also leave us reviews on itunes if, if money is too much money yeah stars are always free on itunes go in your podcast app uh leave us five star just stars or a review mm-hmm. we've got a few more that's nice yeah we always like to read all the fun sentences you guys write yeah. about us i like this period period beautiful Poetry. Whoever did that, thank you very much for. We appreciate it. Yeah. Just yeah. waiting for that second sentence to roll through. <laughs> Leave it in another review. Open up a second iTunes account. I don't care. I don't, well, I don't care what you, you want do. your kids back. Don't you? <laughs> this is what it's come to. Four years in, if we don't get enough love, we start taking people's kids. We told you that from episode one, and now it's happening. Now it's happening. Other than that, follow us on Twitter at LA Meekly. Instagram, LA underscore Meekly. We post every day. Like us on Facebook. Yeah, search uh, LA Meekly for that. LA Meekly.tumblr.com. That's our main hub. hub for everything we have an episode archive we have pictures that go up all the time send us an email at la.meekly at gmail.com if you want to be the next claire graham and jane tobias yeah yeah briefly in this <laughs> yes uh, if you work at or know someone who works at an interesting or historic place in this city hey ring a ding ding my phone makes that noise when yeah. an email comes in ring a ding ding ring a ding ding let's all go to the lobby <laughs> and have ourselves an email a long email <laughs> have ourselves a panic attack <laughs> because we have to do work now yeah so that's that we hope you enjoy this episode we really liked it uh enjoy it we love you oh no i said it oh no it's too soon i'll start it off so who are you and how long have you lived in la uh, my name is Claire Graham. I'm actually Canadian, so I'm a green card immigrant. Oh. So a lot of issues pertain to that in this neighborhood at the current time. But <laughs> I am 
I think I'm 68. I was born in 1949. Okay, whatever math that is, yeah. So yes, we'll, I, edit, we'll edit the math in. <laughs> I'm towards the end of the arc. Um, <laughs> so I worked at Disney for 25 years Fantastic. at a theme park, and you may have heard of it, <laughs> down in Anaheim. That's Orange County. Um, oh, Orange County. <laughs> Tell us what you did there. Um, I was called the Senior Managing Art Director. So we did fulfillment for marketing and entertainment events like Super Bowl halftime shows, parades, stage sets, park decor, anything that needed visual sort of brand management for Disney that went to outside customers like parades in Indianapolis oh, okay. and uh, city celebrations that the characters had to go to and needed to be seen in the right way with You're, the right things around them. Like the representation for the uh, fictional characters? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, I started there in 1966 when Walt Disney was still alive. Oh, wow. Okay. And my first job was putting on one of those heavy, fuzzy costumes and dancing around the park. Which character? Bringing joy to millions <laughs> of people. Um, I was in my height range at six feet uh-huh. then. I've shrunk a bit since then. But I was uh, Big Bad Wolf, oh, Rare wow. Bear, Goofy, the three pigs, which you actually end up looking out of their hats rather than where their eyes are. Okay. Um, Foul Fellow the Fox, Gideon from Pinocchio. Oh, right, right, right. Um, There's a whole range of things within your height range that you never really know. So you get to climb into somebody else's sweaty costume (laughs) the next day. You know, it's that's a good catalog. It was a great job. Yeah, amazing. And tell us where we are right now. Uh, We are at a place called Moore York, Mm -hmm. which is my gallery space that we bought in 1986 as a uh, 7,000 square foot uh, abandoned building. Did some renovations to it, and it's really sort of just my studio space and gallery and hangout spot now. And you were saying this building used to be, it was a supermarket and a... Built in 1933, and it started its life as a Safeway supermarket. Um, At that time, um, the whole front of the building was open and vegetable carts moved out onto the sidewalk so you could do drive-by shopping for (laughs) rutabagas and tomatoes (laughs) all that. Uh, There used to be a red car line that stopped in front of the building, didn't go any further west down York Boulevard, but then returned. So the track was from downtown L.A. to to here uh, at Moore York. Mm Um, and the building was Safeway Supermarket for about the first uh, decade and a half. Then it was Skateland, big metal letters out mm-hmm. on front. The after Skateland, which was about eight years, it became uh, Raceland. Uh, they just took the S K T <laughs> down and put an R and a C in, and it became Raceland. We still have a couple of the letters that are big neon box letters. And then it became J.J. Jewelcraft for the last 25 years of its life. And we bought it in 86 after it had been empty for about three years. Since then, we've just filled it with our collections of artifacts, things gleaned from thrift stores, garage sales, flea markets. Are these the same wood floors from when it was Skateland? Yes. 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 And most people (laughs) think these are basketball keys, but they're actually the directional things that you had to skate around clockwise the first hour counterclockwise the second hour so god forbid you didn't get disproportionate thigh muscles going around the corner because you force it onto one leg Uh, i think i interrupted a question how long have you lived in la lived in la um my parents uh my father had a big dredge at a huge iron mine in canada brought it down here to Long Beach Harbor to dredge the site for the ill-fated Long Beach 1964 World's Fair. Oh. Uh, built Pier J and then built all the oil islands that sit in the ocean off of Long Beach. Okay. 
um, decided that this was a better place to, I'm one of five children, so the educational opportunities, the cultural opportunities, much better here than, we were from a town in Canada called Atacokan, which was a population of 1,200 people, very small, yeah. everybody worked for the iron mine and nothing <laughs> well, else. Okay. And in the wintertime, about half the population would flee to more hospitable climes. <laughs> so it was uh, a place not to raise five kids if you wanted them to do it, something other than you had done your life. Where is that in Canada? What part of Canada um, is that? If you know Lake Superior, there's a little lake way above it, a dot. It, lake Superior looks like a wolf's head. There's a dot above it called Lake Nipigon. And in the forest, about 500 miles away from both of those points, Little time, Atacokan in Ojibwa means dried pile of caribou bones. All so. of this sounds like a really scary fairy tale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day that'll pop out. Going to the next question, what, what exactly do you do here other than... At practice. <laughs> so um, I have a set of skills. I have a, a BA, a BFA, an MA, and an MFA in crafts. Uh, when I was in school, crafts was sort of a legitimate... Uh, counterpoint to art yeah art was eggy mm. crafts was practical yeah. crafts was producing furniture and ceramics and glass blowing and all of the practical skills and yeah. i picked up i stayed in school longer than anybody actually ever should <laughs> for probably 15 years okay and so i got all those degrees the cheapest studio space you'll ever find is if you're in a nurturing school environment so I had my own private studio space in school and access to, you know, a peer group that had pretty incredible skills. Yeah. So um, got the job concurrently at Disney at the same time while I was in school and used to sort of shill people with good skill levels to come work at the park in various departments, et cetera. So. Okay. You were saying, what was the phrase you used that you made of the things that are, compil not compilations, but... Accumulations of yeah. objects. Um, the weekend habit is to go to flea markets and swap meets and garage sales and estate sales mm -hmm. and find out what the secondary market is churning through and depositing on the footsteps of creative people. So um, I find amounts of things like uh, the dog tags. I probably have about 10,000 dog tags. So when you get a quantity of anything, you can sort of conjure how to make something out of that. Mm -hmm. So things like Scrabble tiles and pop tops off of soft drink and beer cans, anagrams, uh, human molars, um, anything in quantities large enough Where'd becomes you get the art molars? fodder. <laughs> molars were sourced from a company in India called Bee for Bones. India. And yeah. what they do is they burn bodies on the ghats along the Ganges, and then they uh, sift the ashes, and they have teeth which aren't consumed by the fires basically in a pyre it's not hot enough to really destroy the teeth mm -hmm. they sell them to dental schools for drilling and filling exercises so i got into the sort of that chain uh sort of made excuses about what i was using them for because it's actually illegal in the u.s to buy sell or trade human remains and teeth are human remains so what they do to get them through customs is, here we're blabbing all sorts of yeah, secrets, international yeah. secrets, <laughs> yeah. but they disguise them as art. They use uh, wax and they glue them down to a substrate of plywood or cheap wood, and they put ricky-ticky daisy stickers on things and gild it up so it looks like flowers and these arrangements and stuff. So and you get this funny note that says, when you receive your art, boil it. <laughs> so what you do is you break it up and put it in boiling water, and the 
teeth, because they're heavier, fall to the bottom and the wax flows to the oh, top. Wow. And so you've got these clean human molars that are regularly used for, to train dental students. So they're drilling on real teeth so they know what they're doing. So I got 1,200 of them that are all on the, that cabinet there. The FBI doesn't listen to us, so I think, I think your secret's <laughs> so far. Yeah. Do you uh, want to give away your secret for the, the better uh, flea markets in town? We're blessed in California because of the weather that every single weekend of the month is a different one. So the circuit goes, first Sunday of the month is PCC, Pasadena City College, which is an incredible flea, free sort of array. People show up that literally are just cleaning out the garage yeah. and have stuff that is absolutely unique. Then there's the hardened ones that have a, a certain kind of thing they're known for, like mm -hmm. tribal art or ethnographic oh, art right. or shabby chic or various things. But that's probably, I would guess, about 500 plus dealers. Great one. And it's free and it's very casual. Incredible things I've found there. Um, second Sunday of the month, Rose Bowl Flea Market, which is the granddaddy of all. I actually went to the first one in, I think it was 1972, <laughs> and have pretty religiously done every second Sunday at the Rose Bowl. That's now, they say 2,500 dealers, I've heard that, yeah. which is Crazy. phenomenal. Yeah. You know, a lot of them are closed in the secondary lot, but once in a while there'll be a stray over there too so you have to check everything a third sunday is uh, long beach vet stadium which is a rival to uh, rose bowl fourth sunday there's a great torrent street fair then there's uh, a randomly occurring ventura one and then there's a regularly occurring one in san diego so you know depending on how far you want to drive on a sunday right. morning you can hit every weekend okay yeah. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, my dad went to a lot of flea markets, but they were all, because he was a mechanic, they were all auto flea markets. Yeah. So when I got older, yeah. I realized, like, oh, there, there's, like, regular flea markets where yeah. they sell regular stuff. And then, like, flea market doesn't mean car stuff. Yeah, so but, like, the Santa Fe Drive-In, uh -huh. which is on the 5 Freeway yeah. down in Orange County, that has a regularly occurring one, but it's a lot of food, it's animals. Yeah. But once in a while, there'll be somebody there. So, you know, it's just... Good to check uh, out. Serendipity, yeah. what you find. And you can never rely on finding the same thing again. So it kind of makes it a unique hunting exercise. Yeah. But as a craftsperson, part of the process is the hunting and gathering yeah. it takes to find your material. You keep using the term craftsperson. Do you yeah. refer to yourself as more craft craftsperson? Yeah, or absolutely. There, I think there is a very specific or difference between being an artist where you're driven by a uh, concept, an idea, you want to communicate something. Crafts tends to be a little more neutral in its goals. Um, it usually produces a functional object, a bowl, a plate. And a lot of craft can be very artful. But a lot of art, when it relies on craft, tends to be a little sloppy. You get a lot of artists who are using crafts processes now and doing things that will never survive. Like 10,000 rolls of paper with a little piece of scotch tape put on straight pins into the gallery wall. Incredibly beautiful piece. How do you put it away and store it? How does a museum conserve it? How do you protect it from falling apart when that scotch tape decides to let go and you've got the floor littered with things? Uh, so art has some deficiencies in understanding process. Craft tends to be very heavy in process and loses some of the artfulness that is required in an object that anybody else is going to want. But I consider myself a craftsman. I don't have a, an axe to grind or a, a, a communication yeah. nugget that I'm yeah. trying to yeah. put foiced out like into the world. The Scrabble cabinet right behind you, I'm guessing that's a functioning 
right. cabinet. Um, all of the cabinets, and then they have curated collections in them. And that is sort of driving a suggestion to anybody who looks at it and starts to understand that all of these things are sort of a cabinet of, of curiosities about my own life, that yeah. it's telling a story, it's history, it's objects that have a tangible uh, draw for me, and I'm kind of putting them there to see if somebody else can put the story together. Um, all right, let's move on to the next question. Number four, sorry. My, 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 sorry, I looked at a skull and I blanked out. <laughs> Literally blew Greg's mind. Right? <laughs> what is this place's role in the city, would you say? Well, our mission statement when we first opened our doors, uh, we bought it in 86, and then we sort of over five, seven years, we kind of organized it, made it usable, permeable by the other people. And we started to feel that the neighborhood was entering into one of those phases where there were problems with, when we first got here in 86, there were probably 25 artist studios in these next three blocks. Yeah. Good, cheap, raw space. And since then, everybody has basically disappeared. Everything has become restaurants, retail, mm -hmm. monetized in a way that artists can no longer afford the square footage in studio space. So while we once had a thriving artist community, that wave disappeared and were replaced by people that said, wait, a lot of people are going to that neighborhood. You know, so if we open a little restaurant or a coffee shop, we can make some money off yeah. of this. And so we've gentrified several waves now. No more art studios. There used to be a couple of very good art galleries. Christy Engel, who was downtown and moved to this neighborhood because of the energy she felt that was building here. And while we show an artful environment, we don't really show art anymore here when we open our doors. So, but our mission statement was to be one of those permeable assets in this neighborhood that could unify people, give them a place to come, a common forum, so that we could meet our neighbors, so they could meet us, mm -hmm. so they could desensitize that whole issue of you know, what's happening in the neighborhood. Yeah. We've been here for 30 plus years, so I think we're the old guard now. Yeah, you know, we're sure. the, I, we've been here as long as most of the people who own houses. The neighborhood has changed a great deal. It's become more expensive, which is one of the drawbacks of gentrification. However, the people who owned houses here have benefited from that as mm -hmm. they move on. Right now, we literally have like stroller uh, traffic jams on the <laughs> weekends with young families who could afford to yeah. live in these houses and their kids going to Cafe de Leche, the shops along the street, and using the neighborhood. And yeah. it has a kind of unique identification. At one time, Forbes magazine gave the neighborhood like the number one nucleating neighborhood ranking in the nation wow, okay. that things were happening here and <laughs> fast. And yeah. there have been a bunch of NPR stories about this neighborhood and how it has changed over the years. Have we stated yet that we are on York Boulevard in Highland Park? We are at the corner of York and Avenue 50 Thank in you. Highland okay. Park. That is uh, And more York, the name, yeah. is that person's responsibility. And we're looking at Jane Tobias, who at the time was probably five years old. And she and her brother, who was a year older, were posed the question of, what should we call this place? And because their father was very expansive in their education as they were growing up, had taken them on a trip to New York to expose them to the big city. Yeah. They kind of looked around and said, more York. <laughs> and Jane, how do you spell that? Spell it M-O-R-Y-O-R-K. 
Yes. Capital M, capital Y. <laughs> yes. You and that's what here. they said, and that's what we did, and it's been called that ever since. <laughs> what would you say is the most important thing that you have in here? The most important thing? Yeah. To, to you find or to what you're hey, trying to That's get not out my job. <laughs> is there something in here that means the most to you? Do you have children, either of you? No. no. How could you ever say <laughs> Jane or Henry was the most important to you? Easy. You, know, you, can't, you can't. If a fire started, yeah. I would probably run for a little wire dog that's at the back there that's just an innocent piece of art that somebody else produced. It's just a little insignificant artifact, but because I've had it with me for so many years, it means a great deal. And I see it every day when I go by the cabinet it's sitting in. And so God only knows. Yeah, I think you're the first person we've asked that question to who has picked something personal to them specifically. That's the most important thing. But... If you want to start bragging, there are things in here <laughs> that are worth an incredible amount of money. Please. But there are things that are worth nothing. And to me, there's no aesthetic difference between the two. So, you know, they just sit here and everything is inert. The things that have the most memories tend to have the, the bigger grasp upon one's intellect and one's heart. I want to see this dog before I go. Yeah, me yeah. too. Oh, yeah, I'm going to start okay. a fire and see if you're telling the truth. <laughs> uh, you just confess. Uh-huh. <laughs> you did the graffiti uh, this morning. They're going to find my molars. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you have to give up. <laughs> Along the same line as that, do you have a favorite thing here? Um, you know, favorite would probably tend to move chronologically into the thing I acquired most recently. Okay. That doesn't denigrate anything lower on the list but it's just the most recent Get it's the most mind. active in trying to figure out the who what when where why yeah. of what that object is so over on a, a cabinet over there i have a a carved maori house post figure that is my current favorite i like to look at it so several times a day i'll just think wait i haven't seen it in a couple hours <laughs> so i trot over there and I look at it and i'm still figuring it out st- still trying to do research and you know tie it down specifically to where it was, what it was doing, who it is, et cetera. Is that part of your process is like learning the, the like you I think you said when we were walking around, like the source of it and then trying to just kind of break it down. Yeah, there. Um, what you see in all these big glass cases that have thousands of objects in them and all the low counter glass top things too is a mnemonic device that allows me to rekindle that aesthetic epiphany when I first see an object. Um, typically walking down a flea market aisle, you'll see something that you don't, understand you don't know you don't recognize it's a bit of a mystery and you you buy it and usually it's insignificant you know it's dollar it's 50 cents it's ten dollars whatever it is and so then you try to put its life history together where it was what it was doing where it belongs and in our culture some amazing things fall out of their proper place like secondhand art once the kids divest themselves of mom and dad's lifetime collection of things so many things they don't know or understand or appreciate and put out on a blanket for 20 cents, you know, and it's something that's important. It's something that's either signed by an artist or it took incredible skill to fabricate. So I I tend to be attracted to those kinds of things. And were we to go and pick out any individual objects there, I could tell you, you know, what flea market I got it at, (laughs) how much I paid for it, what I know about it at this point in time, you know, and then I, I tend to arrange things so that there are compatible groups of things that have a conversation going, kind of try to curate in a certain way. Okay, that makes sense. Before we start getting away from specific things, could you talk about the that mirror again that, that you were telling us about? Uh, what sits over there is a giant uh, 60-inch uh, convex 
lens that was produced by Bausch and Lam as actually something for the Vietnam War that uh, the U.S. Army was having trouble with night flights, uh, bombing runs by the enemy. So they had three of these parabolic curved lenses in the backs of army vehicles that they would triangulate out in the jungle. They would collect raw data because a parabolic curved surface collects both sound and light reflections. Early computer programming, they were able to do an engineering exercise, establish points along the route that these planes were taking, guesstimate where the origin for these flights were on airfields, indiscriminate missiles sent in to where they had plotted these things, blew up hundreds of miles worth of jungle. <laughs> but within six months, they had ceased night flights by the enemy on bombing on their bases. And so they ended up as Army Surplus at a salvage yard out in Redlands, California. I got three of them and then made one uh, with a base and everything, so it looked like this Jules Verne-esque gizmo, the death ray that can burn yeah. the sails of it, the floating boats in Atlantis. Then used that money from selling the first one uh -huh. to provide the bases for the other two. Oh, one lives in Seattle at a friend, Galen Lowe's, and then this one is here with me. This is Omega. He's got Alpha. I've got Omega. It seems like you're trying to triangulate the entire United States. <laughs> I'm telling the FBI again about this. <laughs> If it, we only knew, knew where that third one was know. now, you know? I feel like I've seen a lot of James Bond movies just like this. It, <laughs> find a third one. It's weird because when you stand in front of it, it, there's, it does something to your voice. You also. know, like the Capitol Dome, if you stand on one side yeah. and whisper, the yeah. sound waves will actually bend, and somebody over on the other side of the space can actually hear that, and it's like, yeah. who's in my ear? <laughs> but that does it. It bends sound waves, and then you can see what it does to the, yeah. the vision. It distorts everything i had to stand next to it just so i can kill the magic of it because it was like it was it was confusing me so much that i was like a dog like what's the what's all this happening in front of me like i needed yeah. to that, see the that's back of it. sort of set at the end of that too so it draws people in there yeah. and it, yeah, most people wait what is what's going, <laughs> what's on, going there? on yeah what in hell what's gonna draw me away from all the other stuff it's oh yeah it's myself yeah <laughs> so uh what would you say la would be like without this place or la or even just this street or places what? like this yeah well uh, you know la has incredible pockets of interest like this is and we're sort of off the radar we don't have a sign outside we're not regularly open it's really just a private space that is accessible if you follow the code if you do certain things if you follow your nose and yeah. we're on a lot of internet stuff now mm -hmm. we're listed but you still don't know how to find us until <laughs> you do a little detective work which i sort of enjoy that yeah. story of how people actually end up here and how many dots they had to connect before they <laughs> like speakeasy they did yeah. it so but there are many many places like that around like the trend right now if you've been to 14th factory Oh, get yourself down there. Is that the place? It's a big uh, derelict building downtown that a group of artists have taken over. And they've developed uh, sort of discrete environments within this space. And the famous one you've probably seen if you're on Instagram at all is the pitchforks forks hanging upside down yeah. as a whole ceiling environment. There's sort of a big white... Uh, What's the name of the movie? Uh, but a big white environment that looks like 2001. Okay. But um, so there are these environments yeah. that you put yourself in and try to figure out what the whole story is. We were just in Santa Fe and there's one there called Meow Wolf <laughs> that they've done a similar thing, taken over this huge complex of buildings like an old bowling alley and 
uh, skating rink and stuff and have done this very complex story that you really have to kind of put clues together to get the most out of it. And they've got this very intricately plotted thing that, and you actually like have to open the refrigerator and climb through it oh to get God. to <laughs> part of this segment sequence of rooms yeah. and stuff. Uh, a dryer in the back of a closet, you have to push the clothes aside to get wow, to, but you don't know any of this when you go there and yeah. you kind of have to, you know, prowl. <laughs> it's very, very crowded. So you typically, wait, where'd that person disappear yeah. to? <laughs> wait. So, but it, yeah, it's one of those. So there are places like that that are L.A. centric mm -hmm. that um, there are gardens that are kind of secret gardens that yeah. are tricked out with incredible things that if you're um, perspicacious and a little bit brave, you can sort these things out in our environment. And that's what we're we're just one of those assets of the city that right. we had no specific intention, nor do we now. But I think most people who do come in sense that there's something going on. What I liked about being in here, if you've read an I, like the I Spy books from mm -hmm. when I was a kid, they had this look to it where it was all these things going on. You had to find things in them. And that's what this kind of reminds me of. And I really like it. experience of being in exactly. I Spy. And, and all of these things are a prompt for storytelling, mm -hmm. you know, to put a sequence of words together that explains the who, what, when, where, and why of objects of people and what your relationship to it is and um, I enjoy people who walk around and ask questions and try to put their own story together and how they relate to to all of this so is that the wave of the future of rather than just like things on a wall it's no the wave of the future is virtual reality <laughs> uh, all these tangible things are disappearing totally museums in the future will be dead relic they'll be abandoned Young people today with access on a cell phone to the world's cultural existence. And a lot of people no longer feel the need to go see the real thing. Yeah. They've captured it. They've got it. You know, so. There's some stuff that I see on the internet that I, I like there are things that, you know, you follow enough things on Instagram where like I have to go to like the poppy fields. Like there are things that like have to be visited that you can't just like you want to immerse yourself in it. But I know what you mean where. Seeing a picture of you know a view from behind the Hollywood sign is good enough for some people to be like, well, I don't need to go behind there now. Right? Did you go to the poppy fields? No, I didn't. I don't have the gas money. Uh, what's the strangest thing that's happened here? Strangest is uh, probably not a word I would use, but <laughs> the most awesome uh -huh. thing that happened is uh, there was a guy named Miles who I collect Japanese temple bells, which are these big copper raised bowls that you strike, instead of you know rubbing a wet finger on the rim yeah, to create yeah. a uh, vibration, uh, you strike it. And depending on the size, the thickness, they dissipate a sound over different lengths of time. He had about, I think it was 17, basically drummers, people who knew beat, sit on the floor. We carpeted the entire floor. Uh -huh. They sat on the floor with these bells, and he had written a piece that gave everybody a part in this wow. sequence of things. And the best part was after about uh, 40 minutes of a choreographed musical composition, he was striking the big one, let it go, and nobody moved, nobody talked. There was no sound for about three and a half minutes. <laughs> so the sustaining note yeah. dissipates out and it disappears, but then everybody was afraid to break that spell. So that probably minute that last minute of that three and a half minute dissipation at the end of the piece yeah. where everybody was caught in this mood 
is one of those things that still gives me kind of those shivers when yeah. I talk about it because it was magical. It was something that the environment and the sound he produced and it just created this thing that is other than a tangible object. So it was incredibly powerful. And yeah, that sounds really moving to be in the middle of that. That's yeah. really great. Yeah. Do you do a lot of per like performance sort of things like uh, that? We've so kind of shifted uh, because the space, I kind of globbed onto the excess exhibit space for my own stuff that we do um, a whole sequence of live music stuff, CalArts music program oh. and people doing dissertations and performance and stuff. We've had a dance group. We've had a guy named Ken Rote, who's a serious L.A. theater director, uh, 99 cent shows and stuff at the Bootleg Theater. Okay. He produced Miss Julie here, which is a Strindberg play, rewritten and adapted. So we've done live theater. We've done spoken word. We've done music. We've done all of those, using the space in a way that can augment something. If somebody has the right project to place, we are just free to use. How do you move all of this stuff? Um, what we're sitting in right now is temporary. This is staging furniture that's going out to a house that my partner Bob okay. is doing. High-end real estate in LA, you need to stage to create a mythical story about <laughs> the people with taste and substance and good art live here, you know, yeah. and you could live here too. So he does that for a living. And uh, so all this stuff will be gone tomorrow morning okay. and go live in houses. So we can fit 60 to 75 people with a four or five piece musical group. The dance company typically likes to move people around. So they perform in the center and they're free to you know push banks of people back if, no. <laughs> so it's interactive it's uh stephanie zelatel okay. and a group called salt the next question what's this place's best kept secret best kept secret i i would say that there are endless secrets embodied in each one of these objects and some people figure them out some people never do or never will i have clues about a lot of things that i can start a process but everybody else comes to this with a different set of uh, sort of brain files yeah. and lots of stories to tell here. I like the idea of being challenged to like make your thing of this, find this sort of stuff when you what come in here. You? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yeah. Uh, when's the best time to come here? Do you uh, open up the space? Is there like appointment only? It, it's appointment whenever. Okay. Uh, typically <laughs> I'm here most days of the week okay. except for, for Saturday and Sunday mornings when I'm off sourcing things at flea markets and garage sales. But I typically am here very early in the morning, like four, working away. And typically by four in the afternoon, I'm, I'm pretty much done with this and go on to other things. But if the door is open, uh, you're always welcome to knock, to come in and perambulate the space okay where should you park when you come here parking is becoming a bigger problem but uh we're blessed with about a 60 foot long strip right in front of the building that is free all day so if you can snag a space there that's ideal we have a driveway in the back of the building that typically i'm pretty far down the driveway so you can always park in front of that streets behind us marmion and stratford and avenue 50 are no meters it's typically two hour parking and then there's uh 75 space place at Avenue 51 in York. And then behind the True Value Hardware Store, there's another 50 spaces there. So there is parking. What's the best place to eat here or your favorite? There are many spaces along the street. One is called uh, Azteca Huarache. Do you know what a Huarache is? No. 
you know what the shoe is. It's they used to be made out of tire treads, oh, sandals. I've seen those, yeah, okay. Yeah, now they're leather and all tricked out. Yeah. But they have a corn masa boat, uh-huh. so it's like an open face taco almost, and oh they can put like uh, calabacitas or a huitla coche, which is corn must, uh-huh. uh, various things on the top as well as all of your meaty bits. But there's also the York, which uh-huh. is very good environmental beer pub food, um, great truffle grilled cheese sandwich, Highland Park Cafe, which is sort of a quirky breakfast lunch menu, not open for dinner, Cafe de Leche, fabulous coffee, great couple running it. They've started grinding their own beans, sourced from growers they know in Guatemala, Mm -hmm. so it's incredible. There's still some of those sort of one-off places in this neighborhood and not the brands, which is, I think, letting this become one of those nucleating neighborhoods that it's still a... You don't find this on Abbot Kinney. You don't find this on other parts of the town that yeah. are over-exploited yeah, with absolutely. brand names. We have to stop recording these before we eat lunch because <laughs> this makes me want to faint whenever we ask you people about try, the food. You should try Huarache Azteca. Yeah, it's that sounds great. fabulous food, and it's relatively inexpensive. Down the street? Down the street. This side of the street, uh, past Avenue 52. Okay. Okay. Yeah, walkable if you're already parked. Yeah. Well, those are all the, uh, that's all of our oh, questions. Oh, and there's also the bowling alley. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, in the middle the, of this next block between 50 and 51, this side of the street, there's a bowling alley that has a walk-up window that has incredible burgers and various things. I think I've and passed it. And bagels. Okay. I think I've yeah, passed it. Yeah, it's really it great. And bagels. then Silver Lake Ramen is actually here now, too. Just a few storefronts You're killing past. me. <laughs> so hungry. So yeah. <laughs> They're all very good. I want ramen and bagels right now. <laughs> well, that's it for the interview. Thank you very much for sitting down and talking to us. That's all? Yeah. yeah. That's all we have. <laughs> he threw the microphone at us. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.